That's just bringing um, the verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength, a whole new meaning, you know. That was just wonderful. Thank you guys. Let, let me hear it in the back. Bless you all. It's magnificent. So good to be with you. Uh, if you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy. I'm the pastor here at Spanish River Church. Joy to welcome you. Look forward to welcoming you back this next Saturday night for Christmas Eve services, 2, 4, and 6 o'clock. And then, of course, Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning, we are having services, but that'll start at 11 o'clock. This last week, I sent you uh, an email, those of you who are on that email list, all of our members and friends, uh, reminding us about some of the great work that God has been doing in the church over the, the past year. Thousands of people have come into the counseling center, and of course, you've just seen the children's ministry in action, some of the great work that they're doing, and um, student ministries as well, doing remarkable work. Uh, last night, we heard from our student ministries director, Matt Wilson, talking about not only what God's been doing on the campus itself here, but through their first priority clubs. At Boca High School, uh, last week, they were having um, a Christmas gathering for the first priority group, which is a, a group that brings fellowship and the gospel to students in the public high schools. And um, uh, one of the assistants um, in the student ministry was walking by with a big, you know, mountain of pizza. Uh, to take to that Christmas gathering, and uh, at the lunch hour, walked past members of the basketball team, and they were like, hey, where are you going with that pizza? And she said, first priority, you can come. So the entire basketball team came. They stayed through the entire service, and, well, no, wait. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. They heard the gospel. Two of the members of the team gave their lives to Christ that day, and that's wonderful. And... There are dozens of students coming to Christ in, in the, in the uh, uh, public high schools all through those first priority clubs all over the area. Um, over 40,000 people have been using these facilities over the, over the last year. That doesn't count worshipers. If you counted just people showing up for worship, you'd have to ask 50,000 to that number. Your deacons have given away over $140,000 in aid locally to people in need. Your church planning team has given away hundreds of thousands of dollars to support the work of the gospel all over the world in this region and around the United States. The mission of the gospel is going forward through you, and I thank the Lord for that. So the reason that happens is because God gives us the heart of grace that says, I want to be part of the great mission of Jesus, and that means... And it's critical for us to remember this. We're not part of a church with a mission. We're part of a mission that has a church. The mission belongs to Jesus himself. And churches are part of that mission. And that's why all of our members take a vow, whenever we become members, to say, I'll support the church to the best of my ability. Now, I don't know what your ability looks like this morning. I know looking around, I can see people who could give, you know, many, many of you, millions this morning, millions. And so... Just saying, some of your laughter is just nervous laughter. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. God gives each of us time, hours, moments, days, years. He gives us our lives. He gives us talents, abilities that we can bring. He gives us treasures that we steward. And whether we have little or large treasures, in God's economy, it is the faithful stewardship of those treasures which really counts. And when you, as a member of this church, are participating in that giving, in the stewarding of those treasures, then you are furthering the mission of Jesus through this church. And so I want to invite you to pray with me through the rest of this month 
Uh, this last summer, the elders set a really, really aggressive budget because the mission is so great. And the reason that's so important right now is, and this may be news to some, for most churches, fully 17 to 20% of whatever comes in in a fiscal year and that really sets the table for what ministry can be done happens this month. Now, have you seen the price of eggs? Lord Jesus, come quickly, okay? I mean, gas is going down, but eggs, holy cow. And then you got people going, oh yeah, but there's a recession coming and all that stuff. Listen, friends, sooner or later, you gotta decide whether or not you're moved by the, the world news or the good news. And you've gotta make that decision. You've gotta decide whether or not you're gonna move by fear or by faith. And I'm telling you, as, as uh, Tony and I have walked with the Lord now all these years, and we've never seen God be unfaithful to his promise. And so I'm telling you, you got, if you're moved by the good news rather than the world news, if you're moved by faith, not fear, then you can trust the Lord. And I'm asking you as a family, as a single individual, as a couple, to take a moment in the next week to pray and say, Lord, what do you want us to do this month to be part of this mission? And that might be a gift that's above and beyond anything you might normally do. It might be just your regular stewardship. Whatever that looks like, though, whatever the Lord speaks in your heart, I trust that he will direct your heart to give that. And I want to pray for that this morning. And let's do that, shall we, as we lift our giving to the Lord. There's different ways you can give. You can give online, SpanishRiver.com forward slash give. You can give in, in boxes that are arranged when you exit the building so that you can leave those gifts uh, you can give by text. You can even mail in gifts through the United States Postal Service. You can do that. It's a shocking thing. You can write a check and send it. But uh, let's pray that the Lord opens up our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great goodness to us, and we commit all of the needs to you. Thank you for those who've been coming to faith, not only here, uh, at the counseling center, student ministries, children, Spanish River Christian School. Thank you, Lord, for the church planting team. Thank you, Lord, for their wisdom. Thank you for all the ways in which you direct their work. Lord, thank you for nurturing your newborn. Thank you for English as a second language. Thank you for all the ways in which uh, the church reaches in to the streets of this community and to the needs of the world. And we ask that you would continue to supply for everything that is needed. Would you please direct all of our hearts? And would you bless that as we give our time, as we give our talent, as we give our treasures? And we thank you for this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4 this morning. On September 17th, 1903, Wilbur and Orville Wright brought their heavier-than-air craft for the first time into flight. Lasted about 14 seconds, but uh, the engine didn't cease and uh, cease operating, and then they brought it to a bumpy landing, and one of the most remarkable moments in history, the beginning of aviation, started with that moment there on a beach in North Carolina. They were thrilled, and they telegraphed home, back to Ohio, about the success of their venture. You can, you can look up the telegrams in the National Archives, you can read it, about the flight was successful, 14 seconds, and then it says, inform the press, home for Christmas. And when it got to the local paper, the telegram was brought in by their sister to the local paper, this was the headline the next day, Wright Brothers, home for Christmas. That's missing the lead. 
That's burying the lead. The most important story, the beginning of flight was missed, was missed. It's very easy for us to miss the most important story. I want to bring you a Christmas message a week early. Why? Because everything's going to get busy this week. Uh, there's wrapping of gifts and receiving of gifts that will take place. Uh, there's feasts to plan and journeys to make. And in the middle of all of those festivities, and they're joyful and they're wonderful, we can easily bury the lead. We can miss it. We're going to see children give presentations and plays. There'll be nativity scenes with Joseph and Mary and Jesus there in the manger. We'll see that and we'll hear the carols and we'll sing the songs. But it would be important for us, it would be essential for us to take a minute and ask, well, what does it mean? What was it for? In the decades that followed the birth and the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, his followers had time to reflect on what these events meant. And let me remind you that these are events. These are moments in history, things that took place. These aren't, Christian faith is not a philosophy. It's not a set of ideas. It's a set of events that God acted in history. And then what happens is Jesus' followers, his apostles, reflect on that. And they go, well, what did this mean for us? What does this actually accomplish? And one of the most profound places of reflection on that, what does this really mean, is in Galatians chapter 4. And I want you to read it with me. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Those are the circumstances of his birth. Here's the purpose of his birth. To redeem those who were under the law. And here's the outcome of his birth. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent not only his son, but the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Would the same spirit who has come into our hearts inscribe this word on those hearts so that we might know you and walk in your ways. Through Christ our Lord, we pray, amen. Beloved, it says, in the fullness of time. Note that first phrase. Let's talk about the circumstances of Jesus' birth. It came at just the right time. And there's both a heavenly and an earthly perspective to that. From a heavenly standpoint, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. That phrase, the fullness of time, means at just the right time. There's two different words used for time in the New Testament. One means time as an opportunity, a moment that is particularly unique. But there's also the word chronos, which is just time and its sequence, where we get our word chronological. And that's the word that Paul uses here. He's saying that after all this sequence of events, everything that had been promised and planned, finally, at just the right moment, Christ was born. 
The timing of God is always right. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. But the long lay the world in sin and error pining was true ever since the first day of the human disaster. But on that day, when we rebelled against God, God did not leave us in our treason. He did not leave us in our rebellion. He did not leave us in our devastation and destruction. No, God stepped in in that very moment, at that very day, and he spoke to the arch enemy of your soul who had come to demolish the human race. And he said to that serpent of old, there's a woman coming. There's a woman who will give birth to a son. And that son, while you will bruise him on the heel, he will crush your head. And that was the very first promise, the very first prophetic word that someone would come to be our deliverer. But then came Noah, and it wasn't one of his sons. And then came Abraham, and it wasn't Isaac. And then came David, but it wasn't him, and it sure wasn't Solomon. And then came Micah, who you heard from at the very beginning of the service, and said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. It was a promise, millennium in the fulfilling, thousands of years. And an incredible narrative that was unfolded by God's providence across time among the Jewish people by whom he would bring this Savior to the world. And it was at just the right time. I don't know what you're going through this morning. You may be hoping that the Lord would show up in the middle of your disaster, our disaster, right now. Lord, please come right now. But God is faithful. He said through Jeremiah, I'm watching over my word to perform it. There isn't a single word that God has ever said through any of his prophets that has ever failed. I'm watching over my word to perform it. They held onto those promises. They held to them for thousands of years. Just as you and I hold to the promises of God now about the second coming of Jesus, they held onto those promises about the coming of the Messiah for thousands of years and he came at just the right time. At that moment in the world, as Mary and Joseph made their journey to Bethlehem, she, in the words of the King James Version, great with child. You can't get past the poetry of the King James Version. Great with child. As they came in that journey, Rome ruled the world. There were no boundaries between nations. It was all one empire. Greek was spoken by everyone in that empire. And even though it was a hard providence, the Hebrew people had been scattered all over the Mediterranean world, synagogues all over North Africa and all over Europe, all over the Middle East as they gathered with that hope, that promissory note. And the whole world was looking for a savior. Most of Rome thought it would be one of their Caesars. So when Caesar Augustus was born, he was hailed as a, a god that was a man. And there were coins struck that said about Caesar, there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. Because people believed that salvation would have to come through politics. Salvation would have to come from the state. Salvation would have to come from Washington. Sorry, no, that isn't going to work. No, salvation comes from heaven. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. And that reminds us that the baby in Mary's womb, while he has his human nature from her, this gift that Mary gave to the world. 
has his origins in heaven. He's the son of God, the eternal son of God sent from heaven. He is not 50% God and 50% man, like some Greek mythological figure. No, he's 100% God and 100% man. And you go, well, how does that work? I, I don't know. I don't know. Look, the task of Christian faith is not to give us easy answers to mysterious questions. It is, in fact, to lead us more progressively into the mystery, the wonder, of who God is and what he has done in Jesus Christ to save us. Uh, when, when you become a minister, you have to go before your fellow ministers and you have to answer their theological questions. And if you can't answer their questions, then you can't become a minister. They won't say it's, okay, you're, you're in the club. They give you the secret handshake and let you pastor a church, you know. So you've got to be able to answer the questions. And w- one of these exams I was sitting in, a poor fellow, just fresh out of seminary, He's, he's up there, he's going to get ordained, and he's going through the questions about justification and sanctification and the inerrancy of Scripture, and, he, and he's doing really great, and, and you just think, this guy's going to get across the finish line, this is great. And then this older pastor stands up at the back, and he says, can you explain to me the mystery of the incarnation, the, the humanity and the deity of Jesus, and then can you follow that with an explanation of the Trinity? And this guy just looked at the crowd. And he said, well, I, I believe in the hypostatic unit and in the Chalcedonian formulation. And um, he's fully God and fully man, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. And the guy said, now you can be a pastor. Because it isn't about figuring it out like some scientific formula. It's a wonder. It's an astonishing mystery that God has come to us, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's come to us at the margins. Bethlehem was, as you heard, a little place, a hick town. It wasn't in the power centers. Joseph and Mary, descendants of David, were nevertheless not wealthy. They they were in poverty. You know that because of the offering they made in the temple some months later. They gave the offering of the poor. They were poor. They were on the margins. They ended up being refugees in Egypt. These were people who did not have means. And it is on the margins and among the most needy that God came, not in power on a war horse, but in vulnerability as an infant. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, Born under the law. Why does Paul say born of woman? Well, that phrase meant fully human. But it also is an echo, isn't it, of that very first, that very first word that was spoken back in Genesis. There's a woman coming, serpent, and he's going to crush your head. Born of woman. Jesus, Paul says, is the fulfillment of that ancient promise. He was born to crush the serpent's head. And he came to all of those, Paul says, who were born under the law. What does that mean, born under the law? Well, Paul says the law is holy and just and good, the law of Moses. But he says the law could never give anyone life. The law was like a really good friend who's never wrong and is always pointing out where you are wrong. 
and catches you at all the wrong times. And he's always right. And the law is never something that we look upon and we go, oh, I'm so glad you're here. But we wish it was there for everybody else. I was sitting at the intersection of Glades and St. Andrews. I was obeying the law. And um, the light was red. I'm just sitting there. And there's turn lanes, two turn lanes, just there to my left, going on to St. Andrews. And they're empty. They're empty. But there's a green arrow. And then all the traffic, we're lined up there waiting to go. Then suddenly, this very fast sports car being driven by some even possessed person <laughs> comes flying down glades up from behind and goes through, through the intersection because he's got green arrows in the turn. He just goes around us and just keeps going. And I'm like, where in the world is the law when you need it? I was mad. I was mad because three weeks ago on St. Andrews, I got pulled over. I got pulled over at night. It was at night. I'd been at a session meeting serving Jesus, and I got pulled over. <laughs> I got pulled over. And I'm thinking, ah, people in the church are going to drive by, and a pastor got busted, and what the heck? This officer walks up to my car, and he goes, do you know why I've pulled you over? And I'm like, no, I don't. And he goes, well, the little lights that shine down on your license plate are out and you need to get the... I'm like, are you kidding me? Where are you at Glades and St. Andrews? Would you get with the program here? The law, the law of God. What does it do? It points out all of our sin. It shows us that we need a savior, but the law did something else. It pointed to the savior. Because the law said you had to perfectly obey it to be righteous. But of course, who obeyed it? All of it, all of it. I mean, perfectly. Did anybody? Well, you know, Abraham didn't. David didn't. David sure didn't. Solomon didn't. Isaiah didn't. Even Isaiah. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Nobody perfectly obeyed the law. Until Mary's boy. Because his nature like ours, yet without sin. And why was that necessary? So from the very first moment, he perfectly obeyed the law his whole life. Why? The law said for forgiveness of sins, there had to be a lamb, but it had requirements for the lamb. The lamb had to be, listen to it, spotless. And there was no spotless lamb to be found. Not the one that could simply postpone forgiveness and wrath, but actually bring forgiveness and deliver us from wrath. And Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and became the righteous one he's called, the spotless lamb, so that in adulthood as he bursts on the scene, John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, they wouldn't have been stunned to hear him say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of Israel. Everybody knew Israel needed a lamb. But John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of Florida. You go, wow, man, that's a lot of sin, Florida. I mean, you know. <laughs> the Lamb, 
No one had ever, everyone, they're, they're, everybody had a lamb, but no one had ever been the lamb. There's the lamb. There's the perfect one. There's the spotless one. Born of woman, born under the law. And here's the purpose of his birth. That he might redeem those who are under the law. Redeem, redemption. It's an ancient word that was used of liberating slaves. And you sit there this morning, you go, well, I I don't feel like I'm a slave to anything. What's he talking about? Slavery. I mean, I know there's sex trafficking slavery, and I know the terrible history and legacy of the European and North American slave trade and its impact on history. And I guess the Romans had slaves, but what's that mean to me? Why do I need redemption? I'm not a slave. But Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you commit sin, you're the slave of sin. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands in here for anybody who's sinned in the past week. If you're breathing, you're sinning. Every impulse in us is, is, is charred with the fires of our own rebellion and needs to be cleansed. And if you don't think you're if you don't think you really, you really have sin, all you have to do is sit at the intersection of Glades and St. Andrews. <laughs> when that car goes speeding by, you're not going to say, God bless you, God bless you, my son. That's not what you're going to say. You're going to want to speak in tongues, I'm telling you, but you don't want to. <laughs> you don't want anybody knowing what you're really thinking in that moment. What happened? Something shook inside of you. See, we can keep our facade up. We can keep it looking good. We can keep it polished. But then something happens. And what's down inside of us really comes out because we're the slaves of sin and we have to be liberated. And when you're liberated, when Jesus frees you from the penalty of sin, here's what it says in Galatians 3. He became the curse of the law. You see, the law called for a penalty, death, and he became that curse for us to liberate us, to free us, to redeem us from the curse of the law. You and I are not under the curse of the law anymore if we have faith in Jesus. The penalty of the law has been perfectly fulfilled in him. Jesus not only kept the law perfectly, he fulfilled the law perfectly because he took the penalty, he became the lamb, and he died. And what's the outcome of that for us as liberated people? Well, it's beautiful. Look what it says here in Galatians chapter 4. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. We become adopted. When Paul was writing those words, Nero was the emperor. Nero was the adopted son of the previous emperor. In fact, all the Julian Caesars were adopted sons. Going right back to Julius Caesar and his adopted son Octavian, who became Caesar Augustus. If you're not familiar with the story, old movie, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, some of you will remember that, okay. Octavian, he becomes Caesar Augustus because Julius Caesar adopted him. The adoption that Paul's talking about is this. Every emperor took someone and made him a son. And that gave him the whole empire. Everything that belonged to the emperor now belonged to him. This is why Paul says you're adopted. 
and you become heirs of God. Heirs. Everything that belongs to Jesus, listen to friends, everything that belongs to Jesus right now is your inheritance. His relationship with the Father is yours. His righteousness is yours. His heaven is your heaven. He is yours. And that's why God who sent the Son, here's that double sending, has sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts. How do you know you're one of the adopted children of God? All of God's children, all of God's family are adopted children. If you're a child of God today, it's because he adopted you. He made you his heir. How do you know? Because he sent the spirit into your heart. And that spirit cries out, Abba, Father. You go, well, that's a weird thing. Abba, that's a Swedish rock band that's been forgotten. What are we talking about, Abba? What is that? No, it's an old Aramaic term. And it's a term of intimate communion between a child and his dad. Maybe a, a, a way of saying it in our modern parlance would be Papa, Papa. So many people think they have to approach God like this, oh, Mr. God, Mr. God, or Mr. God, if you would just listen. But God is not distant. He's not He's with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And this is why when you speak to God, he's Abba, Father. That's the term Jesus used. That's why I'm telling you everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. That's the word on his lip when he prayed. He didn't pray, Mr. God. He prayed, Abba, Papa. And that same spirit of Jesus is now in you. His father is your father. The spirit that wove Jesus together in Mary's womb is the same spirit that has put Jesus in your heart. And so you cry out, Abba. I, 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 I was like, well, what does this mean? I, was, I found out what, now listen, I mean, I've been to seminary, I've read the commentaries, I've read the books, I can tell you what Abba means etymologically and linguistically, I can tell you what it means. But what does it mean? I was on an LL flight between New York and Tel Aviv. And um, if you've been on an LL flight between New York and Tel Aviv, that is, a, that is an interesting flight. And so all of my, my Jewish neighbors are all around me sitting and going over there and I'm, I've got some work, some teaching to do over there. And, um, and I, by, by the way, guys, I'm a grumpy traveler. I'm a grumpy traveler, I just am. And it really, you know, and I don't wanna, I don't want, I'm like, well, I should get on planes going, could, which section has no screaming children? <laughs> I don't care if it's first class business economy, just tell me there's no screaming children. And so I get on, and of course, where I get seated is, is like three seats away from this little boy. He's like four, and he is wound up. And he is going up and down the aisles of the plane. And he is yelling at the top of his lung, Abba, 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 Abba. He's trying to get the attention of his dad. Abba, Abba. And I'm like, his dad's trying to ignore the kid with every ounce of his ability. Abba, Abba, Abba. And I'm like, could you get the kid under control? Have you never read Proverbs? It's in your half of the book. Come on, man. Come on. Get that kid. Abba, Abba, Abba. And while I'm getting angrier and angrier and angrier because I'm a very holy person, um, 
I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, what do you say? Oh, that you would say Abba with the joy and the excitement of that little boy. You saw the children up here moments ago? You know what they were looking out at? Children's church. You're all children. We're all children. And we've all been adopted because Christ was born. And he was born to die. And he died for us, to forgive us, to redeem us, to liberate us. And he's coming again. And everything that belongs to him belongs to you. And all you have to do is trust him. Put your faith in him. And you will find the Holy Spirit coming to you and delivering you from religion because religion can save no one. He will deliver you from religion and bring you into a relationship with God so that you too can cry, Abba, Father. Can I ask you a question? Do you know God as Papa is the Spirit of Jesus in you, do you know your sins are forgiven? You can know. And if you want to know, I invite you to pray with me right now. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your birth in Bethlehem. God, we thank you that you came at just the right time. You fulfilled your promise and your word. Across the centuries, you watched over your word to perform it. And at just the right time, you sent your son to be our savior. Jesus, we thank you that you lived and you died and you rose again and that you will come again. And we thank you that there is the double procession, the double sending, the sending of the Son and the sending of the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come now and apply in the hearts of every person in this space the reality of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. And that every grown-up child in this church would at some point in their life run the aisles crying, Abba, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your son to make me one of yours through Christ our Lord. Bless you, my friends. Merry Christmas. Let's stand together, shall we?